Welcome to the Policy Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Patrice, writer, political science master's graduate, and dirty martini enthusiast. This podcast is dedicated to unpacking social, political, economic, and environmental issues as they relate specifically to policy from both regional and global perspectives with the simple goal of discussing solutions and systems that put people before politics. Fair warning, sometimes the content is intense and we drop some F-bombs. Thanks for listening in and enjoy the episode. Hello, hello, and welcome to the first travel show of the Policy Out Loud podcast. So candidly, I am super excited to finally be getting into travel pieces. Um, They've been a really long time coming. Next week, I actually hit my 28th, 29th, and 30th country, and I am so stoked to begin talking about policies from around the world. The reason I'm bringing travel podcasts to this show is twofold. The first is that policy and travel actually go hand in hand, which may not be something that we think about when we're hopping on Pinterest and we're like, where do I want to go? I want to go somewhere that's beautiful and, you know, Instagrammable and has great food and has some sort of quintessential memory or some sort of well-known, you know, space that I want to go see. Deeper than that, part of what makes policy Part of what makes travel so special is policy and the unique policies that shape the culture around the area that we're going to see. One of the most valuable things I've learned from travel is that everywhere that we go, people are passionate about making the world a better place. But the idea of, quote unquote, a better place is often framed by the most urgent matter a person faces where they live. So for instance, Portugal is in the middle of a pretty severe water crisis. And potable water is an issue somewhere like Syria, but of lesser importance because the people are facing violence on a day-to-day basis. So if you've been following along with my show, you may remember how I told you about when I moved from the West Coast out to Missouri. Being from Seattle, I always thought that because homelessness was such a widespread issue in Seattle, it must be the same everywhere. And I kind of thought that if people didn't care about homelessness, then they didn't care about people. I made this very um, massive assumption that actually didn't reflect how people are approaching the world from a space of care. As it turns out, homelessness isn't really that big of an issue in rural Missouri, but access to rehabilitation centers, family planning resources, and hospitals is actually a much bigger issue. One could easily mistake that a lack of care for an issue that we're passionate about is apathy towards our chosen human issue. But it's more than likely that the person we're talking to, if they don't care about the same thing that we're caring about, um, it's likely that that person cares about an issue that they see as more primary or more pressing based on their surroundings. I'm a prime example of that. I spent years making that mistake, and I didn't learn it until after moving out of the corner of the country I'm from to a different part of the country, again to a different part of the country, and then completely out of my own country. It's a lesson that I've had to, to learn time and time again. But the, the truth is, is that the example that I make moving from the West Coast to Missouri isn't just true about our own country. It's true about our world, as is kind of the example that I use here at the beginning when we're talking about potable water. We have a lot to learn from how different regions of the world attack different problems and what those outcomes look like. That's policy. Policy has to be judged by its outcome, 
not by its intent. So on this podcast, we'll be talking about cool problem-solving strategies from different places I've traveled, distinct to the area and their needs. Some of these problem-solving strategies may be a good launch point to deal with any of the number of issues our own cities and states are facing. We have a lot of opportunity for learning from all of these different parts of the world. The second reason that I want to bring travel to the podcast is simply because it's fun. On these pods, I'll also be giving you travel tips, recommended places to eat, and tell you my personal travel stories because I know that the more you believe that these places, some familiar and highly desirable locations, and some a little bit more off the beaten path, you're more likely to see travel as a wise investment filled with beauty and opportunity. But I will tell you that these stories are going to get really real. There are going to be stories when I tell you in very vivid detail when my privilege showed itself in wildly ugly colors, and that's happened a couple of times. I hate to admit it, but I'd rather just be honest with you because there's a good chance if you travel, you may have the same experience, and it's a great learning opportunity. Most of the stories involve me in sleeping. Most of the stories involve me sleeping on the side of the road at least once in like almost all of the stories. One of the questions I get asked more more often than I thought I'd ever get asked this question is like, how are you 30 and you've already, you're working on your 30th country? How have you afforded that? Well, that goes back to one of the benefits of military life. We have had the opportunity to live abroad. But the other thing is, is where we've put our money. Um, we have not had, you know, when I came to Europe, I had this like, this thought in my head that I was going to be staying at like beautiful resorts and gorgeous Airbnbs. And I was going to be eating at these like amazing restaurants and I'd be wearing high heels doing it and like a gorgeous dress. And it was going to be very Instagrammable. And as it turns out that the way I was able to afford close to 30 countries at this point, 30 next week, is that I slept on the side of the road. And a couple times I had to flip my underwear inside out because I couldn't take luggage with me. And I've peed on more sides of the road than I can count. And I've had to learn what privilege looked like because what I could afford sometimes had mold that wouldn't have been OSHA approved in my own country. Um, I'd have to sleep on the side of the road and I'd eat street food and I would wear, you know, very practical clothing, including very practical shoes. High heels have never happened for me in Europe. I have this like gorgeous collection of shoes that have never seen the cobblestone because I'm afraid I would break my leg. And that's how we've afforded to do it. And so all of these like gorgeous pictures that we have in our mind about travel, that's not what mine turned out to be. Mine turned out to be a messy ponytail and um, a fanny pack strapped across my chest and some cheap beers and some barefoot walking and some really intense life lessons that have turned out to be some of the most beautiful stories I have to tell. And... um, And it's going to be all of the painstaking awe that I've developed for God's earth and all of the precious creatures within it. And I know that if I tell you these stories, maybe you'll fall in love with these stories. And maybe if you fall in love with these stories, you'll be more motivated to go out and find your own stories, to go see this amazing world that we're participating in. And maybe you'll be more motivated like I have become to become a better global neighbor and more aware of the intense impact that we have on one another. So that's why I'm choosing to tell the stories. It's why I'm choosing to not only give you the tips and tell you about the really cool policies I've had the opportunity to learn about, but it's also the reason I choose to bear all, which 
We're going to practice it together. Um, so as this is my first travel episode, you're going to have to bear with me because I'm finding my storytelling groove. The structure may change a little bit over time as I find a better way to tell these stories, but for the moment, we're going to jump in and we're going to get right on after it. So today's travel podcast is about seeing London, England. So my London travel story is pretty simple. For those of you who have been following along on the podcast, you know that my husband and I live in Germany. So, um, that kind of just gives you the start point, but where we travel from, we oftentimes travel from Prague, wherever we're flying out of Prague. Um, Munich, the, the Munich airport is easily as accessible as the Prague airport, but flying out of Prague tends to be cheaper. So we go for the cheaper route. Um, but we booked kind of an obscure houred flight, um, from Prague over to London via Ryanair. And that was a total of 70 us dollars for two round trip tickets, which is absolutely insane. Um, living over in Europe, you find that the airplanes, obviously airplanes are a taxi system, but it is like, it, it's a, it's an affordable taxi system over here. Um, when we think of flying to Europe and doing all of this, when your like launch pad is the United States, it's very expensive. But when you live over here, here, it's, it's much more affordable. Um, but with, with that ticket, we got, you know, two small bags and we went with the, the shoes on our feet and the coats on our back. And that's how we did it. Now, when I get into my actual travel tips and all of the things that I would recommend you see, I'm going to recommend really good shoes. I made a massive mistake at the very beginning of this trip that I paid for that like for weeks later, and it had everything to do with shoes. So we'll kind of get into that, but a little bit about the London culture. So London is home to one of the most ethnically diverse populations on the planet. One, roughly one third of Londoners are foreign born. And while English is the primary language, more than 200 languages are spoken in this city alone. Now, what I can tell you is that that is something that I actually saw very much in walking around London. I, um, as someone who is from the United States, went to London fully expecting that it was kind of going to be like the United States. And now having lived in Europe for so many years, what I can say is that London is the most Western familiar country that I've been to um, in terms of like how I compared it to the United States. And it's probably, you know, it's the country that looked the most like the United States to me, but it is absolutely its own country. It absolutely has its own flavor. It is very, um, as much it was, as much as there were very Western familiar things there for me, it was very much its own country. Um, one of the distinct things that set it apart was that I was regularly standing next to people who I couldn't speak a lick of whatever it was that they were saying to me, but I would regularly walk up to a counter and they'd be like, what's your language? And they, their tongue would adapt to accommodate me or the person behind me, the person behind me who I couldn't speak to, but they certainly could because so many of them, um, spoke three, four, five, six languages, Um, so I thought that that was really neat and accommodating. And honestly, it kind of embarrassed me that I couldn't keep up with that, but you know, I'd have to put a little bit more time into my languages, but it's so evident in their culture that they are so inclusive just in their ability to speak so many languages. Um, music exists kind of on every street corner, which was really cool. And, um, their cultures from range from very deep East to very far West. And they're represented through their food, their art, their museum galleries. Um, and there's really genuinely never a shortage of interesting experiences to, 
to have from various parts of the world at any hour of the day or night. So I thought that that was something that was really neat. They really embrace their, you know, cultural melting pot. Um, so that, that was some of the stuff that I thought was really, really neat. Um, to top it off, the locals are really eager to help you navigate the train system and to point you to the nearest pub that isn't a tourist trap. They're very welcoming into their personal spaces. Um, that was one of the things that was just so charming about London. Now we saw in the four days we were there, we used the train systems, like we used and abused the train systems. Um, but we also did 44 miles just on foot alone in the four days. And so that kind of gives an idea of just how expansive and broad this city is. Like I've been living now in a small, small town in Germany. Um, and I haven't spent a ton of time out in the English countryside, so I don't, I can't speak to that, but all the cities that I've traveled in the last few years have been significantly smaller than London. London is absolutely enormous. Um, so it was just so interesting to see how this massive city had embraced so many different cultures within its very expansive boundaries. Um, so before I get into my, my tips for traveling, we're going to start with cool policies. Um, just because it's a policy blog, it's a policy podcast. So let's start there. Um, so first and foremost, one of the policies that London has deals with density of social infrastructure. One of the ways London is creating equality in a growing and diversity is to take inventory of social infrastructure of neighborhoods, both old and new. Part of their development is to ensure that each community has nurseries, schools, cultural centers, places of worship, fire and police stations, sports and leisure facilities, markets, restaurants, public toilets, water fountains, and seating. This plays a role in making communities more sustainable, reduce tenant turnover, and encourages diverse populations to cohabitate in the community. This is intended to reduce and eliminate segregation of culture and income and reduce pockets of deprivation of services and employment. Now, this is information, some of the information that I'm going to talk to you about specifically in these policies is stuff that I've looked up, but I'm also going to talk about whether or not I actually saw that. And having done 44 miles just on foot, including through the train stations, we hit a lot of the, um, like the hot ticket items. We went to all the places that like people want to see. We did Tower Bridge. We, um, we didn't do the eye. We walked by the eye, but we saw all of these kind of like noteworthy locations, but we also went out about into the places that people live. And I can tell you that I never struggled to find a market, a public toilet, a water fountain, restaurants. This social infrastructure policy was very evident when we were there. And what I know from reading about this particular policy is that their intent is to reduce pockets of deprivation of services and employment, but that's also what it appears to be achieving. They've also reported that in making this a policy priority, that they have actually accomplished um, what they're working to achieve through that policy. So having having kind of gotten very, very limited exposure to it, I saw it, but I think it's also really cool that they have been measuring whether or not they have achieved that intended outcome, and it shows that they have. So I thought that was really neat. Another policy that they've got is um, working on designing out crime. 
So designing out crime was actually a really new concept to me. I read about this um, after returning to London and um, I found it a really interesting idea to explore, um, but this is what they're doing. So the city is making a proactive effort in its design phase to eliminate crime. This is opposite of what many cities are doing who do not consider crime in the planning phases and instead respond to it. So we're looking at right now, we're talking about proactive policy versus reactive policy. And London is embracing a proactive crime um, reduction policy. In the planning phases of new buildings, infrastructure, and dwellings, Policies identify considerations of lighting, security, and community ownership so that crime in each area is reduced and people want to take care of that area. This is an interesting proactive measure um, that I know for me, um, as this particular, as the writer behind this blog, I'm, I'm personally interested in exploring more research about this in the future. And for London, my understanding that is that this is relatively new policy and that they have found that they are making measurable reductions in crime in the area where they embrace proactive policy, but it's still something that I think is going to be measured over time. So that is one of the policies that they're embracing. And the last policy we're going to talk about has to do with climate change. So London is actively looking to reduce its carbon footprint by considering and implementing decentralized energy systems. London is doing this because this model uses primary energy more efficiently without generating wasted heat that is lost en route from large-scale thermal power generation plants to wherever its end location is. Um, so I personally think that this is a radically cool policy. I think that um, decentralization of policy allows for a lot of innovation and a lot of free thinking um, in all of the problems that we're solving. It also allows for multiple models to be used and studied at once. So as much as I try to keep this a very like nonpartisan platform, I personally will just caveat with, I think that a decentralized policy model is a really cool way to be considering how they're addressing climate change. And um, eventually I'd like to get into a podcast or a blog about some of my thoughts on that and how we can apply that thought process in the United States. But I thought it was really cool that they were applying this in, in London as a method of climate change for me personally, it's a um, line of thinking that I'm very, very open to um, and very interested in continuing to explore. I think that there's a lot of really powerful thinkers from this line of thinking. And so um, this is something that I, I just thought was really, really cool. Um, I think what's neat about it is that it's just not, it's not offering blanket solutions to a problem that isn't universally same, same across the board. Um, when we apply blanket solutions, it doesn't necessarily result in blanket outcomes. So I think that that sort of innovative thinking is really, really, really cool. So I thought that um, London, that this, how they were doing that was a really exemplary policy. All right. So next up, um, we are going to talk about travel tips for London. So first things first, um, I would highly recommend that you use the trains. The public transportation in London is unlike anything I've seen anywhere else. It is truly unparalleled. In most in most uh, cities and most countries that I've traveled, I've used the Lime scooters or Uber, um, but you truly cannot find a faster or cheaper option than the underground system in London. Now, the one thing that I will caveat with that is if you are from somewhere in the world that doesn't actively use underground trains, 
I would highly recommend that you get the tube map for London, which is an app specific, I believe specific to London that will help you to navigate the apps. Now, my husband and I used Google maps. And part of the reason that we did so many miles on foot, I think was because we would go underground using the Google maps and then we would use, we would lose Google maps and then we'd have to pop back up, up the stairs, you know, several floors up to go try to figure out what train we were taking, what route we were taking, and then we would pop back down. We also took, we also like missed a couple of the stops because we didn't realize like, oh, they're working on this location. This like stop is closed or um, various things of that, that nature. So as a person who is not familiar with using the trains, I found them to be very friendly, but I did end up adding some miles on foot because of um, various issues that I had with the trains, not knowing how to use them. So I would recommend the tube map for, for you if you are new to the area. But again, if that's not something that you want, you absolutely can use Google maps and it works quite well. You just might lose service and that might become frustrating to you because it became frustrating to me. Um, it's, it's definitely not a flawless system, but again, for the most part, you can also ask someone on the train and they are willing to help you. I did find that people were really friendly. We we were a little bit too proud to ask at first. And then we just finally got to the point where we were like, hi, are you a local? Where am I going? And, you know, people were very, very friendly. So embrace the people. Um, they help. Paying for trains. Now, if you're going to use the train system, you can, you can get, I think it's called an Oyster card. We didn't end up getting the Oyster card. We set up our phones so that, and I know that I'm saying something like if you're listening to this and you are like tech conscious. I'm saying something that is ridiculously easy, but I was not set up to do this. And I was the jackass that was blocking the like little gates to get in and out of the train. And I, I ended up honestly feeling like a jackass because I didn't know what I was doing, but you can set up your cell phone to have your like credit card in the little, I use an Apple. So in the wallet app, you can set it up, but there's a setting that you can go into your phone that allows it to be your specific train card. So when you swipe your phone, it automatically just charges it because it knows it's for the train. So you don't have to like punch in your phone code or use your face or whatever. It will just swipe it and accumulate it like your total throughout the day and charge it at the end of the day. Um, so don't do like me, don't don't be the jackass, preset your phone for the trains. Um, it's really helpful to everybody. Um, backpack versus a roller bag. Now this is, I was, I wrote about this in the blog and this is going to be the thing that I talk to everybody about. We ended up taking backpacks because that's what we needed for our flight. But I cannot, uh, uh, there are two recommendations that I will make very highly. The second one has to do with shoes, but we're not there yet. The first one is I would highly, 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 highly recommend that you take a backpack to London. Now, if you need a bigger bag because you're going for a week, I'm going to strongly encourage you to consider what you actually need. But if you do genuinely need a bigger bag, then you need a bigger bag and that's what you're working with. But I went with a backpack and I was really, really happy that this was a location I had a backpack in because for us to get from the airport into the city was an hour. We took a bus from the airport into the city, but then where the where the bus dropped us off, we still had to take a couple of different trains to get from that location into the city where we were staying. And so the not only were we going up and down stairs, which would have just been an absolute pain in the ass to have to take 
my suitcase up and down stairs. So I was, you know, just able to hump it on my back up and down the stairs. But the other thing was, is that the train system, while for the most part, relatively level when you're going from the platform to the train is like a smooth transition. It's not like that everywhere. Sometimes you're taking a really big step and the doors move relatively quick. And I saw more than one person who had a roller bag who either got like their hand caught or they got their bag caught and they, they, the train will stop. I mean, they, they're not going to leave your hand or your bag hanging out there, but they panicked. And I looked at that and I was really appreciative that I wasn't having to tug my bag along the stairs, having to worry about it on the train, having to like run with it. I was like, <laughs> cause I did have to do a little bit of running because I was getting used to the train system. I was really happy that I had a backpack. So I would downsize and I would take a backpack. Um, my second, like really punchy, like really, really, I wanna have to, I wanna stress this, walking shoes. I'm, I'm just gonna tell you right now, like I so desperately wanna be like one of those like cute Instagram girls with adorable shoes who like looks put together everywhere. And I have had to come to realize in Europe, there is a reason why Europeans are like gorgeously dressed on top and then they've got like a New Balance shoe on their foot. I now understand. London was one of the places that helped me to understand that because I actually thought I had made a really wise choice in shoes. So I have a pair of Sorrels. They're like a, it's a wedge Sorrel. They're very, very comfortable. They're warm and they're waterproof. And we were traveling to London when it was cold and it was rainy. So I looked at my Sorrel and I was like, oh man, cute shoe, comfortable shoe, kind of has a little bit of sass to it because it's got a little lift in the back. Like it'll keep my feet warm. It will keep them dry. This is an excellent shoe to wear. I regret that decision terribly because it is a perfectly fine shoe if you're going maybe five or six miles in a day. It is not fine shoe if you're going 11 or 12 miles in a day. My toes hurt so bad. They were so swollen and they were popping. I regret the shoe. I strongly, strongly, strongly encourage, especially if you're going for a four-day weekend, that you take a good walking shoe. I cannot stress enough that this is a very large city and all of the things that you want to see, whether it be museums or monuments or restaurants, there it's all very spread out. And while you can take Uber as a water taxi or you can take the train system and you can get yourself pretty close, you're still going to do a lot on foot and you're going to do a lot of stairs. So I would really recommend a flat, comfortable shoe. Now, what I do, because I like a comfortable shoe, since apparently we're talking about shoes on this podcast, is I have a pair of like athletic shoes that are like good for walking that are white and I only wear them for travel. Like I don't wear them to the gym. I don't trail run in them. They are my like cute travel sneaker that I keep white. I didn't wear them for this trip because it was supposed to be cold and rainy. And so I really did think I was making the wise choice, but I'm just going to tell you whatever your practical shoe is, wear the practical shoe. It is not worth what you will do to your feet if you are wearing something else. Um, next recommendation, I would really seriously recommend that you group your locations because this is such a large, um, because it's such a large city, I would take out your, I would take your days and I would break out activities that you want to do based on the region of the city that it's in. Now you really can bounce around the city. The trains are really accommodating, but you're still going to spend possibly 30 or 40 minutes on a train one direction, trying to get where you're trying to go. So I would group your locations. Like for instance, we did Tower Bridge and then we did the London Bridge because they're very close to each other in one day. And then we went and did, you know, 
Buckingham Palace on a different day because it's in a totally different area of the city. So I would recommend that you do that. Now, if you need ideas on how to group your locations, go ahead and check out the actual blog. I have an interactive Google map on there, so you don't have to recreate the wheel. I've already thrown all of the pins in there. You can steal my map. You can follow my journey. You can hit all of the locations I hit, and you can also see how they're grouped. So if this is something that interests you, seriously head over to the blog. I've already done the work for you. Um, so you can just use abuse and share my map. Um, next, if you are someone who likes to do sightseeing, which is me, like I, I'm genuinely happy that I decided, you know, that I had the opportunity, not decided the army decided it for me, but I'm really happy that I got to do Europe in my upper twenties rather than my early twenties, because young Taylor would have been like going straight for the bar. And I would have just bar hopped my way through London. And it would have been fun. Now I want to like speckle bars in between all of the cultural things I can go see. So um, now that I really appreciate doing the cultural things, I would highly recommend that you take a look at the London City Pass. Um, several of the locations that you would want to see are part of the, the London City Pass. So it gets you, it's like one universal ticket for I think 26 sites. And even though you probably won't see 26 sites, this ticket has paid for itself once you've seen like three or four of the sites. So I would recommend just getting the, getting the ticket and then getting the London pass and using that as your ticket into places. Now, the one thing I will tell you about the London pass is that when you get an email, like if you're buying for, it was my husband and I, and so we had two tickets in our purchase, but if you're buying for like your family, each individual person gets their own QR code with the London pass and the London pass comes to you via email. So if you open that email, you're going to get a QR code and that QR code only goes for one person. You need to find every QR code for each individual person because they're going to scan each individual code. Now I mention this because the code, um, the, the email that comes in, it's like an 80 page document before you hit the next code. So you're going to end up sitting there and scrolling, find the codes on the front end and just organize them in your photos that way or print it out, whatever you got to do. Don't print, don't print it out. Don't waste the paper. Just take like screenshot them to your, your phone and just be able to swipe them when you go to each place. Um, book in advance. So my husband and I did this trip super last minute. Um, so we didn't have the, the opportunity to book in advance. And so one of the things that we actually missed was, um, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher the name here. It's a, it's a, it's a tube slide. My husband really wanted to do it and he was really bummed when he couldn't do it. Um, it didn't really speak to me, but if you have the opportunity to book in advance, book in advance, I think it will, uh, really pay off street food. So next tip is street food. So I found London to be a very, very expensive city. So having come from the United States where I spent, you know, on an average time eating out somewhere that wasn't terribly expensive, I was used to spending maybe like 10 or 15 bucks. Then I moved over to, to Germany where eating out is very inexpensive. You can get like a beer, um, you know, and a lunch for sub 10 euro for like a really good beer and really good food. I oftentimes walk down the street and I get myself a little pastry and I get myself a little coffee. I can do that for less than $3, like, or three euro. I've gotten very spoiled in Germany with very affordable food. When we went to London, I found London to be a very, very expensive city. Like it took all of my money. 
that I had planned to spend and then some. So I would highly recommend that if you're trying to cut costs, check out the street food. My husband and I ate really, really well. Still was expensive, but we ate really, really well um, at like a fraction of the price of going to like a fancy restaurant. So we ate the street food. We went into a couple of the like little dives off the street. We found that to be still expensive, but far more affordable than some of the alternatives. So it's a great way to save money if you're needing to do that. Um, Bathrooms. Let me tell you, I'm going to talk about bathrooms in every single episode because bathrooms has become a thing in Europe. Not everywhere has a very accessible bathroom. I have peed in planters. I have peed off the side of the road. I have peed in bushes. I have peed all over Europe because not everywhere has an accessible bathroom. But London has super accessible bathrooms. So um, if that is something like I had to like stop being shy about peeing in random places in Europe because I couldn't always find a bathroom. And sometimes when I could find a bathroom, it was really expensive and I like just didn't have change in my pocket. And that was, it was not, there was no like forgiveness system. Like, no, I will not pay you on the backside. Okay, I'm apparently going around the building. Um, But bathrooms, if you are someone who is shy, which I no longer am, but it's cool if you are, the bathrooms are super accessible. So I thought that was kind of cool. It was really nice. I didn't have to pee in any, I didn't have to pee in any bushes. So that was fun. Um, and then Sundays. Um, so we were under the false notion that Sundays were going to be like the United States, not like Europe. And, um, Sundays, you cannot visit churches and you cannot visit city buildings. So I would really, seriously encourage you to plan around what is you want to see if you're going over the weekend. Um, We had hoped to see a couple of the churches on Sunday thinking that, oh, it's not going to be like Europe. And oh, yes, it's very much like, like the rest of Europe. That's not for you to see on a Sunday. So next, a couple of location recommendations. Um, The tube slide that I mentioned that my husband did not get to ride, Arcseller Meidel, orbit. I know I just butchered that. I know I just butchered that. Um, but it's a big tube slide. Um, it's over by the soccer fields, football fields, whatever you call it when you're listening to this. Um, it looked really fun. The people came down really fast. Their hair was all messed up. So I would recommend if you can do it, do it. I can't speak to it cause I didn't do it, but, um, that's one of them. Um, tower bridge. We're going to go with that recommendation. Tower Bridge, you should absolutely uh, take the tour, like go through the full tour. My husband is an engineer and he's also a bridge nerd. Like all of the places we've traveled, he's looked up what he thought the coolest bridge was and we've taken a drive across it. Um, So there was no way that for the two of us that we were going to get out of seeing this particular bridge, but he went and nerded out and I actually really enjoyed it. First of all, it's a really beautiful bridge, but second of all, the engineering and the history behind it is really interesting and it's a really um, kind of cool interactive exhibit. So, and you also get a really beautiful view of the city, especially if you go at dusk. So I'd actually highly recommend that you make your way over there. There's also really good food over there. So check out any of the number of restaurants that are in the area. When I'm looking for something that I haven't like pre-planned for food, what I do is I hop onto Google like maps and I find food, food near me. If it's got above a four stars and it looks good to me, I'll check it out. But they had a lot of really good, like above four star restaurants in the area that were affordable. So great place to eat. Um, Tower of London. Tower of London is located next to the London Bridge. 
And what's particularly cool about this, I'm going to kind of butcher the history. You should go and you should go read the history on your own. Um, but it is a nearly thousand year old castle, um, like compound, like city, um, like old city castle that's located near the river. And, um, it's been one of the most secure castles in the land since it was built. And part of the reason that we found it so interesting was not what it is today, which today it is still really, truly quite incredible, but Imagine what it looked like a thousand years ago. Like when you're coming up on this like kingdom that is like established on the river, like that would have been super intimidating for whomever was coming down the river. So it's actually a really, it's huge. It's very well intact and they've got some really amazing gems that you can see on the inside. So I would highly recommend going in and doing that. I would recommend for going to, um, the London bridge and, um, Tower of London, for those two, I would recommend at minimum, at minimum half a day. Uh, if you're slow, go quicker. I mean, or if you are slow, sorry. If you are slow, go longer. Um, but for us who, I mean, we kind of got there towards the end of the day. We did it at a jogging pace. We still needed about half a day. So I, I would truly factor that into the time that you spend there. Um, Spittlefields Market. Um, this outdoor market had a lot of independent vendors and they featured food, snacks, clothing, jewelry, home items, art. And, um, what was really neat was that in the center, they've got a bunch of long tables. So when you grab your cupcake or your pad thai or whatever it is you're eating, these like long community tables encourage conversation. And there's people from all over the world that are there viewing the market. So when we got to sit down, we got to talk to people from other parts of the world, which was really interesting for me. Anything that's set up like that for community, you will find me at. That is where I want to go post up because I love talking to people from around the world. So I would highly recommend if that's your thing, go check out that particular market. Um, so for those of you who are like arts or reading nerds, um, I would highly recommend seeing Shakespeare's Globe. Um, Shakespeare's Globe is a reconstruction of the Globe Theater where Shakespeare wrote his plays. It burnt down many years ago. Um, but they rebuilt it to what they believe is accurate scale and size and, and model um, after the original. And I went and geeked out. Um, I would highly recommend you take the tour. We did the tour. I found it to be a very valuable hour where I got to learn a lot about history and how Shakespeare wrote his plays and what how those plays would have been viewed and what that experience would have been um, in the culture, the community, what was the, what was, what was life like back then? Um, so I got to, I got to learn a little bit about that. And if you have the opportunity, they still do place there. So I would highly recommend, um, we didn't do a play there. We just did the tour, but if you have time, I would recommend doing that. Cause it looked like it would be a really neat experience. Um, so I told you earlier, we didn't go see the eye and, um, I, I know I'm saying something blasphemous to someone here, but to me, it looked like a tourist trap. Now, I think it's a, it looks like a really cool thing to do if that's what you're into, um, but we decided that for the view that we wanted, we didn't choose to do the eye. Um, we chose to go with Sky Garden London, um, and it's exactly what it sounds. It's a garden up at the top of a very, very tall building that also has alcoholic beverages. So we went 
we grabbed our drinks, we sat down for a little bit, we chatted, we took a little weight off of our toes, um, and then we walked through the garden up at the top and got some really amazing pictures. So you, and what's neat about this particular garden is that it's a glass top garden. So when you're looking at the windows, they've labeled on the window what significant thing you're looking at at that point so they have like when you're looking at the window towards london bridge they've got the london bridge identified on the glass so you know what part of the city you're looking at which i thought was really neat um the british museum um i for whatever it is that you are interested in i would highly recommend taking a day and going to the british museum i i could not sing this museum's praises like louder. Um, they have so many exhibitions in there and it is free. And um, so whatever it is that you're interested in, they've got exhibitions on clocks and the history of money, ones from the Middle East, ones from Greece, um, ones on various types of technology, um, ones on fashion. Um, I think some of them, ones from you know, Egypt. Um, it's, it's, it's a very vast, um, museum. Now I'm going to say this relatively cryptically as in not cryptically at all, because I feel like I have to be thoughtful about what I'm saying here. I was very conscientious of how they've accumulated a number of these treasures. And so, you know, you look at them and you're like, oh man, this is a very wealthy museum. And they, they have accumulated it over the years from various cultures. Um, and so, you know, that aside, um, it's a really amazing museum. Um, and so if you're looking for, if you are not someone who has had the opportunity to travel to Greece, or if you've not had the opportunity to travel to the Middle East, or if you've not had the opportunity to see some of these various cultures, I thought that these cultures had very, um, vast representation within this museum. So I was really impressed by the museum. Um, some of the music, like some of the exhibits I skipped through relatively quick because I've been to Greece. And so I had, I had done a lot of the museums in Greece. And so some of what I had, or, you know, sites in Greece. So I had already seen some of these things and what they had in Greece, um, was bigger in comparison and, you know, more vast in comparison. But if you've not had the opportunity to go to some of these places and you're going to London, but you may never make it to some of the other locations, take your time in this museum. Their cultures, they've done a really good job of, um, of representing various parts of the world through these exhibits. So I was, I was genuinely quite impressed. It's huge. So I'd give it, depending on how slow you go and how many of the exhibits you want to see, I'd give it at least a day. I could have spent a lot longer in there than I had the opportunity to do. I was really, truly very impressed. Um, the only museum that I've ever seen that could like compete with it is the Louvre in Paris. Um, so I, I genuinely was very, very impressed. Um, of course, there's all the ones that we're familiar with. Big Ben, Westminster Abbey. Um, I'd recommend seeing all of those. They're, uh, they're really neat. Um, the change of guards at Buckingham Palace. Now, that's something that I really enjoyed getting to see. Um, so pro tip on this one, be sure to check the dates and times online so that you can be there on time. You want to be there on time. First of all, because they block the roads. So if you are not out there on time on foot, you're going to miss it. And you're not going to find that it's going to be particularly easy to access if you don't plan ahead. Um, and it has to be accessed by foot. So I would 
make sure that you check the dates and times. I would also recommend that if you can, you start at St. James Palace, which is earlier than the listed Buckingham Palace time because they send the people from St. James Palace um, down the street with the band down to Buckingham Palace. So my husband and I started at St. James Palace. We got to see them come out. We got to see them assemble. Um, it was really cute because all of these, you know, all of the people that are in this guard are also married. So all their like little kids are out like waving at dad. And I thought that was just absolutely endearing. Um, so we got to see them come out, turn the corner. Then my husband and I in our shoes, our poorly picked shoes, decided that we were going to like run down the street towards Buckingham Palace. Now, if you don't care about seeing that assembly, then start at Buckingham Palace. And I will tell you that there are two places you should stand either up on the gate of Buckingham Palace, like either to the left or right so that you can see them walk through the gate, like not dead center, but like to the left or the right near the gate at the actual, actually at the fence line, or they've got kind of a center pavilion. Like it would create what we're familiar with. Oops, smacking my mic. Um, it would hit, it's like, I distract myself by smacking my own mic. I got really excited with my hand gestures over here while I'm telling you this story. Um, it's like a, we would call it a roundabout, but it's like a big pavilion with a, like a monument in the center of it in front of Buckingham Palace. I would stand there on the stairs because from that view, you can see them coming down the street. You can see them making their turn. You can see them go into the Buckingham Palace gate. And from there, you can see the band play when they will play once they get inside. So those are the two spots I would recommend if you don't start from St. James Palace. Um, but if you're interested in seeing both St. James Palace and then take a little run down to Buckingham Palace. Um, so that's what we did. Um, if you'd like to see photos of this, all of the things that I'm talking about, there are photos on the actual website. So you can kind of get an idea what I'm talking about there. Um, riverboat cruises. Uh, there's a ton of riverboat cruises in the area. Um, my husband and I trying to save money, we decided, I didn't know that Uber had boats, but Uber has boats and they also have like a little bar snack area on the Uber boat. So you can use, the Uber boat is intended to be a taxi to take you from point A to somewhere point B down the river. We decided that we were just going to ride the Uber taxi like it was a cruise ship. So we hopped on and we went all the way down the river and then all the way back up the river, drinking beers and chatting and looking out the window. And it was absolutely not as beautiful of an experience as any number of the riverboat cruises where you can like wine, dine and be fancy. But for us saving money, it worked. We had our beers, we had our laughs, we got to see the city from the water. It was beautiful. So take the Uber boat if you're trying to save money. But if you're looking for something a little bit more regal and a little bit more, um, beautiful, then, you know, try a riverboat. Those are neat. Um, so eats places that you should, I should, that you should, I think you should eat. Um, so several years ago, I read an article about the first, um, cheese merry-go-round put in, in the world. So it's like a sushi merry-go-round, but it's for cheese and it is in London. And can I tell you, it's called pick and cheese. It is amazing. I that my, my favorite memory from London is the fact that my husband got me to the cheese merry-go-round and it is, it's so cool. It's in a, it's actually not in the, like the, um, 
area that it's in, it's not where I expected it. It's like kind of in an area that's got like this building. It's called the Seven Dials Market. There's like multiple places that you can eat in this particular market. Um, so it's kind of like off to the side near a window and it's one large cheese merry-go-round that features various types of local cheese. Some that are like hard, some others, some that are spicy. I liked the truffle one, ones that are stinky. Um, and then they, you, it literally comes around on the merry-go-round and you can pick it up and you can try it, or you can order the ones that you like. And then they come out with crackers and you can order wine and various plates come with different things that complement the cheese, whether it be like ham or chocolate or pickles or a specific type of rosemary cracker. Like they're all complemented. The cheese is complemented by different types of nibbles. And we went there and, um, I ate so much cheese and all I did was be happy and eat cheese because it was such an incredible experience for me. I loved it. That was my favorite thing that my husband helped to facilitate. And what I would recommend is that if you decide you're going to go to pick and cheese, um, make a reservation on the front end. We showed up. I tried to just sit down thinking that this was just like a bar. It is not like a bar. You have to book your seats in advance and the poor girl, she was like, no, no, you have to have a reservation. And my face and my heart just dropped because it was like something I had wanted to do for years. And I think she like registered that and she squeezed us into a reservation. And it was just, that accommodation was one of the most meaningful things that happened while we were in um, London. So highly recommend it, but do make sure that you make a reservation. You are, you have a limited time that you can sit at the bar unless you like book, you know, I think a couple sessions in a row. Um, you can do it with a group, but they only have a couple group seating areas. So make sure that you reserve in advance, but highly recommend. It was my version, my little version of like a 45 minutes of heaven. Don't miss it. Next restaurant, the Boss Porus. Um, it's a Turkish restaurant. Uh, it's a, you can go and you can get hookah. Um, they have really delicious Turkish food and it was in a really good location. Um, so if you're looking for something that you want to eat, um, either for dinner or as a late night snack, I would highly recommend not missing it. I, we popped in because we were, it was late and we were hungry and it was in a, in a location that we had been traveling. A lot of the other places had already kind of started like quieting down for the evening. And we went in and we ate like really good food. All, again, all of this, you can go see on the blog or on my social media. And then last but not least is the Copa club. Um, this restaurant had a really good menu and it had a really fantastic location. And the real selling point was that it had these like outdoor bubble huts that you could sit in. So they were clear. So you were kind of sitting in this like really neat ambiance next to the river where you could see the city skyline, but you were warm and it just had a really neat ambiance and a really good, um, very quaint um, little setting with really a, um, a really good menu. So I would check that out. Um, so, that's what I have for you on London. Um, here's what I'll tell you. If you are actively headed to London, go check out the blog because everything I've talked about here has like been a verbal confirmation of how amazing London is. But if you are actively planning out London, I would highly recommend going over to the blog because I have a long list of all of the things that you I think you should go see all of the top places that are really popular to see while you're in London. But I also have not only that, but I also have the interactive map. So I am somebody who, before I go out and visit somewhere, I, I plug it all into my Google map and that helps me to make sure that I have seen everything, haven't missed every, anything. And if you're wanting to recreate this, if you love the planning process, then 
you know, I think Google has a very um, user-friendly system where you can go like plug in the things that you want to see. But if that is not something that you want to do, if that's not a wheel you want to recreate, go borrow mine. The exact um, map that I used while I was traveling, I've also made public and I share it with you there. So you can, you know, follow the route that I followed, see the things that I saw, and it's already created for you. So I highly recommend you use it, you abuse it, and you share it um, because it's there for you. Now, um, other than that, I hope that you have enjoyed our first travel podcast. Um, I am really excited to continue to bring locations to the podcast and to the blog. Um, I have spent the last three years traveling Europe. Um, and I have, I have loved it. I have enjoyed it. And I've got a ton of content to bring to the, to the, to the platform. And it's stuff that I'm like actively kind of bringing into the forefront now, because I'm someone who really believes that when we have the opportunity to go out into the world, the best thing that we can do while we are there is be present. I genuinely believe that we have this amazing world that we have a limited time that we get to participate in and that the best thing that we can do to honor God or to honor whatever it is that you believe in or whatever it is you worship or to honor your neighbor is to be very present with that person in their culture, in their community. And so the content that I'm bringing forward is stuff that at the time that I bring it to you is going to be a little bit after the fact, but it's stuff that I'm so excited to be bringing to the platform because it's stuff that I think adds value to our world. And I think it makes us better people. I think it makes us more rounded people. I think it makes us better problem solvers and better neighbors. So I'm so excited to be bringing this stuff to the podcast. If you love it, um, please go ahead and give it a like, a comment, a share, a follow. That helps me in my my platform, which is still kind of in its inception phase. Um, it helps to to really support the work that we're doing here. So thank you so much for being here. I hope you have the opportunity to travel to London um, if you have not already, or if it's not something that's at the forefront of your financial priorities or abilities or time priorities or abilities, I hope that you have um, learned a little bit of a little something about somewhere else in the world um, and have enjoyed a good story. Thanks so much for being here, and I will see you in our next episode.